0: Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that if you would like to come to our event in Bangkok on October 18th and join over 200 successful location-independent entrepreneurs as well as some luminaries, and you have a business yourself and you are a location-independent entrepreneur, email me, dan at tropicalmba.com. We have a few spots available and I'll send you the details. All right, let's get started with the show. Hey, it's Thursday morning. Thanks for joining us on the Tropical MBA podcast. This week, uh, Ian and I both pulled together five links to content that inspired us, that forced us to think over the last year. And uh, we figured we'd just list them out for you so that you could check them out. But something unexpected happened this week, which is that we use these links, these pieces of content as sort of a catalyst to have a deeper philosophical conversation about some things we've been thinking about lately. And anyway, hope you enjoy. And when Love to hear your thoughts this week's episodes at tropicalmba.com slash reading material. Ian, it's been a while since we did a, a book episode. Way back in the day we did the 10 game-changing thinkers, the 10 most influential books we ever read. And I think we have that available for download. Yeah, you can go to this post. This is a Tropical MBA podcast episode 43. So this week I thought it would be cool for us to share, I don't know, some different stuff. These aren't the classic, you know. Read getting things done. Read Purple Cow. Read uh, Four Hour Work Week. All this kind of stuff. This is going to be sort of some some maybe off the beaten path stuff, but some stuff that's a little bit more recent. So sound okay. good?
1: Yep. Yeah, how are things down in Saigon, by the way? They are awesome, man. I couldn't be more <laughs> happy with Saigon. Yeah. Uh, I've got a new thing. Yeah, I go to a, go to a different restaurant pretty much every day. So you got
0: uh, you could be occupied for the rest of your life, pretty much in that city.
1: You know, restaurants pop up here like uh, like weeds. I mean, just. <laughs> Every other day. All right, buddy. The first one is
0: an article that you sent to me. It's a New York Times article about journalists covering the Edward Snowden affair. Uh, The article's title is called How Laura Helped Snowden Spill His Secrets. And this is one of those long form pieces of journalism that I was completely engrossed in. And I think it's relevant for people in the technology space just about how much our communications are being monitored. And a lot of people look at stuff like this and they think doomsday. They think it's all downside. But I think it's very interesting for people in our community, Ian, because we're seeing unprecedented levels of power, unprecedented levels of personal agency. You know, borders are sort of dissolving, visa on arrival, bank accounts in foreign countries, international corporations. So I see power as sort of a dialectic, right? As we get more power, the institutions that exist start to exert more power back on us, and one of the examples of that I see is facta all of a sudden, you have Americans going abroad doing business abroad and uh, you know entering into contracts in foreign countries and having ownership stakes and you 've got this huge piece piece of legislation which is now going around trying to keep that power in check so I think when we see these big government reaches. It's not always all downside. Sometimes that's just a natural response to the powers that individuals are seeing.
1: Wow, you've got a really positive spin on that, Dan. I like it. <laughs> I like it. That's not, that's not the idea that I got after I read this article. The, the idea that I got is that uh, we're, we're all being monitored and some people's <laughs> lives are being made a living hell for things that should be legal. Yes. Uh, freedom of speech, things like that. So when I read this article, I think about Simon Black and when he spoke at uh, DCBKK. And one of the things that he said was one of the first signs that you can tell your government is in trouble is if they start doing things like this and they don't let you own foreign assets or bank accounts. And one of the things that we're seeing now is even the last two years, Dan, since we started talking about micro multinationals, it's becoming increasingly difficult to own a foreign bank account.
0: Yes, that's very And that's true.
1: because our government is scaring the crap out of people. And they're fairly reluctant reluctant to uh, give us these bank accounts now.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things we can count on here, Ian, is change. It's worth reading this article. And there's, there's going to be a lot happening in this space in the next... Half a decade for sure.
1: So, one thing, Dan, I do want to mention about this that I've seen started to happen in the startup space is that a lot of people are coming out with uh, encrypted email services and ways to send messages encrypted. And this is what these journalists are doing, essentially, is, is they're sending all their information encrypted. So you send out your, your public key and people respond to it. And then you have a way to securely send back and forth emails and information. And I think this is important, Dan. And I don't think it's just for people that are doing illegal things. I think it's for people that are communicating, right? Because what I think I'm worried about here and what we've talked about before is being implicated on a thought crime. <laughs> right i mean this is some this is some mission impossible things here but i think that this is the reality right like i don't want to use i don't want what i say to you in, in private to be used against me Sometimes retroactively
0: in the yeah right. i mean
1: I, we didn't put george orwell on this list but he should be i feel like <laughs> he was on Maybe. our
0: he was on our original list
1: <laughs> Maybe I'm getting a, a little bit overly paranoid about this stuff, but you know, I think it's yeah, I think it's interesting to see what happens, and uh, I, I I do see some opportunities for businesses cropping up because of this.
0: Speaking of DCBKK, Ian, one of the speakers was Derek Sivers, and he did a great job, and he wrote this book called Anything You Want, and I think it's a fantastic book. You can read it in one sitting, and there was this idea. Um, Steve Blank wrote this article that was trending on Hacker News a few weeks ago about epiphanies. And Steve Blank's sort of famous for both lean startup, but this idea of having epiphanies as well. And epiphanies rely on an intuition, like sort of your collective experience compressed over time and sort of the light bulb goes off. Peter Thiel has recently been talking about similar ideas, this idea that, you know, split testing isn't all it's really cracked up to be. Um, Because what you need to be doing is sort of re-questioning the fundamental assumptions, and those things don't come from data necessarily. And I think Derek's anecdotes in his book really hit on this idea that a lot of it depends on what you want, what you want to see in the world, what is your vision. And I think this book is, is just a great parable. It's actually a collection of parables. It gives you this idea that maybe if you're brave and you follow your intuition about what your marketplace needs the results might be good. There's this culture right now where it's all just like, you know, put up Google Analytics and like do whatever the analytics say. And I, I just, there's always been a part of me that resists that. And not just out of taste, but also out of, that's not what I'm seeing like the really successful people necessarily doing. I'm not saying they don't look at data. I'm saying that you can't just follow data. And Derek um, had this, has this great mix of intuitive force informed by the data.
1: Yeah, I like that idea a lot. I think in general, innovation comes from the outside. So it, it comes from somebody working in a field and then going to see something else, you know, in a, in a totally different field or market and then bringing in that knowledge or information into their field and then uh, innovating, right? And it's very hard to, uh, like you said, innovate if you're not getting outside of the data.
0: Totally agree with that. You know, there's, a, there's kind of a duality there, which is that the innovation comes from the people who've been on the inside a long time, generally. Because they understand it. They have the data, in other words. But then, yeah, you cross-pollinate it with something that you've seen elsewhere. So Right.
1: you got to get outside of, uh, of your head or your space or whatever and, and, and kind of see how different materials or ideas are applied and unique in your situation.
0: Right. I mean, like, imagine if the designers of the Mac would have followed the data on, like, how typesetting impacts computer usage. Well, they just would have never had what we now see as Apple design. Maybe. You know, who knows? So that's that idea of of Steve Jobs being a computer expert, but also like insisting on bringing in his intuitive understanding of calligraphy and typography into their designs. And I think, you know, that's part of just like sort of having a belief about what your product should be and that stuff's important.
1: So Dan, when we first started our business, you know, this is something that I was really passionate about and I've been really wrong about too. So I had this idea of of high-end cat furniture Ridiculous now that we're talking about <laughs> it, but uh, this is really the way that I wanted to see the world, right? Like I had this, I, I had this vision for the way that I, I wanted to see people's homes. That's very selfish of me to kind of have that vision, but it's uh, you know, I had it. Like I I said this is what I want people's homes to look like and this is the kind of furniture that I think that they should buy.
0: Yeah, there's something powerful there too. And hey, it's not a bad business, still sticking around, still cracking, man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, but yeah, the bigger the bigger the vision and I think the more people you can help uh with your vision, probably the more successful you're going to be. Absolutely.
0: All right. Number three, Tim Ferriss and Neil Strauss discuss the writing process. This was recently on Tim Ferriss's blog. So I know that maybe a lot of our uh, listeners and readers have already seen it, but I just think it's fantastic. If you haven't taken the time to dig into this, it's about an hour long. And uh, in particular, Neil Strauss's, this guy is just an absolute creative boss. And I think there's so much that writing and entrepreneurship have in common. Um, There's this book called Bird by Bird that Anne Lamont wrote. And she says that writing is a lot like driving on a windy road with your headlights on in the middle of the night. You know the road's going to be there, right? But you just don't know which direction it's going to go. And I I feel that writers and entrepreneurs are sort of in the same boat like that. You know, you sit down, you're sort of terrified, you don't know how things are going to end up, but you know how the types of results you're seeking and you just go. And so I think it's interesting to, for entrepreneurs to look into writers' processes. The other thing about this is that you know, there's this big hoopla this week about Paul Graham talking about English language competence and everything. Is, it's this consistent trait you're seeing at the top rungs of successful people is they know how to communicate. They know how to express themselves through writing. We've talked, you know, time and time again on the show about we used to go over sentence by sentence. And still every day, I mean, you know you look at your inbox, Ian, someone's trying to cut a deal with you. Someone's trying to communicate something to you. And you're just sort of scratching your forehead. Like, what is this person saying? What does this word choice mean? So, again, I just think there's so much import for people looking at writers' processes.
1: Have you ever had an idea, Dan? This happens to me a lot, and uh, I just can't articulate it, you know. Sure. And therefore, because I can't write it down, it's it's not necessarily articulated even in my mind. And so, sometimes writing things down, like writing you an email, um, maybe posting about something, writing an article, you know, that helps to draw out the principles and the ideas. Yeah, it is. And, it uh, is the conc- And get them on paper, right? Yeah. And then you can say, hey, this actually isn't that great of an idea. I just wrote it all down and it doesn't make sense. It is the concrete
0: of deal making. It's the foundation of it, right? Being able to articulate what this, the terms are. You know, the sales letter is one example of of you can how you can cut a deal. But obviously, we do it behind the scenes a lot through emails, interactions, and stuff like that. But yeah, if you can't communicate your vision, how can people get on board with it? And uh, that's I think that's the power of this. All right, number four, uh, Jiro Dreams of Sushi. A lot of people talking about this movie. Have you seen it yet, Ian? I have not. The the basic premise of the movie is that Jiro makes the best sushi in the entire world. He makes it in like a mall in Tokyo somewhere, and. People go crazy for this Michelin star sushi that there's like seven seats there.
1: Okay, I think I know the restaurant because I actually looked into uh, to going there. But I yeah. didn't realize his name and that he had a movie.
0: And they're like, we have a spot open. For- oh, you're the guy from the Tropical NBA podcast? We have a spot for you in
1: 2019. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> the reason I found out about this guy, I think it was Anthony Bourdain went there, right? That's correct.
0: Okay. Yes. Yeah, and it's this idea that it's a love story to the dedication to your art and your craft. And again, when we're looking at consistent success traits, a lot of people, you know, look at this lifestyle, lifestyle design, like, oh, yeah, you know, it's going to be Thailand, and it's going to be margaritas, and it's going to be this and that. But the people that are really making it work are the people who see all that as a framework for them to focus on their craft. And Jiro is one of these guys who sets up his entire life so that he can focus on what he wants. And I have this great link that I, I'd love for you, if you've already seen the documentary, to come to Tropical MBA episode 43 and click on this advice from the founder of Calvin and Hobbs, And it's this idea that when you want to be somebody who works hard and goes after your passion, people tend to deride that. The people tend to want to push you into situations, oh, you know, come to the game or come to the bar, or, you know, come on vacation, do this or that. And the founder of Calvin and Hobbes, this creative guy, basically says, you know, you still have the power to choose your own life forward, even if that's not fitting in the expectations of others. And, you know, that that was something that was a big theme in my life when I was becoming an entrepreneur and still is. I, I think at this level, Ian, we have a lot of decisions to make. And and there's people who say, you know, you, In order to run a a business that's successful, you need to do this, and you need to be like this, and you need to kind of get to this level. And I don't want to just do that. I want to make sure that we're building things that focus on what we care about and what allow us to focus on the crafts and the kind of life that we want to be living. You know, I don't want to just become this empty vessel that's just trying to make more money and build a bigger business and all this kind of stuff.
1: Well, that's one of the main distinctions, I think, be, between a lifestyle business and a traditional business. So a lifestyle business, you consider other factors besides the business. So you actually sit down and you say, I know what it takes to make this into a $5 million business but I'm much more content with it being a $2 million business because I get to do X, Y, and Z in my life.
0: Yeah, and those things are important for me. They're important for the marketplace or whatever. Man, I think that's a hard thing to do. I mean, it it is the case that you meet a lot of miserable entrepreneurs, and I don't want to be the miserable entrepreneur because that's the worst guy to be, right? It's one thing to be the miserable employee. It's really bad when you're like the guy who owns a $10 million company and you're miserable. It's like, bro, (laughs) bro.
1: (laughs) <laughs> I, I, you know, I haven't seen this uh, dreams of sushi idea, but I, I, I think I understand that the concept here, here is an older gentleman. He's uh, been running this sushi shop for a long time and like this is his art. This is his craft dedication, right? This is what he wakes up for every day. That's right. And one thing that you and I haven't articulated, I don't think so well yet on this podcast, Dan, is like we we both share this intense desire to own our time and to own our thought space, Right? And I don't think, I, I think we spent a lot of time talking about this before, but you and I really enjoy um, thinking and working and being with people that are interested in solving similar problems, but, but yet at the same time owning our own time and our own thought space.
0: I think it's this idea of running into life instead of running away from it. You know, like doubling down on life, doubling down on the things that you're doing, demanding that ownership, demanding that time, only you can create it
1: and I think when when I had a job being an entrepreneur so, sometimes like I'm working on businesses or projects where I don't get to think about what I want to think about uh, in term in terms of my mind share you know yeah, and that's, that's like disheartening saying. I think for me is because I, I feel like if I can focus on where, where I feel like my attention is needed in, in terms of my headspace and I, if I can focus on the problems that I want to solve, then I'm going to be much more successful.
0: Yeah, that's tricky advice to give but I think there's something – there's a nugget of awesome truth in there. You know, that's the ultimate wealth is that, that thought space, what, what you're putting into your brain. That's who you're going to become.
1: You know, a lot of times, like I just outlined, you don't always make more money because of it, right? Sure. If you want to focus on the $10 million company, that might mean that you don't get to think about what you want to think about all day. <laughs> right. um, and I've identified that potentially thinking about things that I want to think about or, or reading things that I want to read are, are more important to me than that.
0: Speaking of things I want to read, number five is Annie Dillard, The Writing Life. I can't believe I took so long to read this book, Ian. It's amazing. It's basically, it was described one time when it first came out, I think it came out in 89, as the spiritual, strunk, and white. It's sort of like a philosophical version of the war of art, Stephen Pressfield's okay. now, now uh, modern classic. But yeah, Annie Dillard, The Writing Life, she's a brilliant writer. There's so many quotables in the book that you almost need to like stop every other paragraph and highlight. Um, so for anybody out there that likes this idea of the intense pressure and absurdities that you're going to feel if you are focusing on your craft every day. Because that's the other thing, man. When you, when you, I remember I was writing this book and and thinking about how difficult it is and how sometimes how hopeless it feels. And then thinking about feeling the exact same way when we were trying to launch our first product. I see this happen all the time. So let's get back to a trope that happens a lot on the show, which is with info products and service providers, it's easy to avoid... The hard stuff because you can be like, well, you know what? I'll just put up a blog post or I'll just interview somebody for my podcast or I'll just optimize my mailing list or I'll just do this or just that and another thing. But because we were launching a product company, we didn't really have that luxury. It was like either the products in a store or it's not. And that forced us to sit there every night and like do stuff that we just, it didn't feel, it was just uncomfortable because it was all these things that we didn't know. We didn't understand and we're breaking new ground. And so I think that the best artists, the best writers, the best entrepreneurs, they're good at making those long term views and saying, I'm going to hang in this space and I'm going to push through because I'm going to create something great. I'm going to create something that hits the shelves and not something that just was an idea that I share with my buddies on Saturday night.
1: And by the way, I like being here right now. So it's not all about the end game, right? It's like I like yeah. being here right now. Even yes. if it doesn't work out and there's not fireworks at the end of it, like I, I like what I'm doing. It's kind of like when you
0: spend all day long training. Like the whole time when you were doing squats and, and running up and down hills and stuff, you weren't like, this is the greatest thing ever. you know? Like It's kind of like this idea like every moment of your life can't be yummy. It can't be like, ooh, steak, ooh, red wine, ooh, friends, ooh, party, ooh, you know what I mean? At a certain point, like it's good to have that nice long, all day long, all week long focus work workout. Does that make sense? Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) All right. So uh, finally on my list, I have a short history of nearly everything. Bill Bryson is famous for being a a travel writer, uh, an academic, and he wrote this book that's an absolute modern classic, and it just wasn't on my radar. Basically what he does is he goes back to the beginning of what we would call scientific progress and talks about the universe from the conception to where we are today with humanoid species. And that sounds a little bit boring, but it is the most exciting, one of the most thrilling books I've read in the past few years.
1: This is on my list. Uh, I think you and Taylor were talking about this book.
0: It gave me a whole new perspective, like just simple things like an atom, for example. He puts into perspective the universe, which I didn't understand the perspectives involved. I think anything for entrepreneurs that challenges your assumptions, that like resets your perspective of like, I think that's powerful. Because that's what we do constantly as entrepreneurs. You know, we're like these survivor rafts, spliced together with bamboo poles of assumptions, and we can kind of reformulate those anytime they stop working so well. We can rebuild the raft, so to speak, and hopefully turn it turn it into a cruise ship. I wow.
1: think that's great when you when you start to when you start to think and to understand like how the universe could have been formed and like what it's actually made up of. You just realize everything else is bullshit, right? All these like, <laughs> scripts that we write for ourselves. Well, All that's, of these that's, routines and everything—that's you know? the powerful it's just, thing. It's just man-made. It's manufactured. It,
0: there are just so many fascinating stories of ambitious scientists and explorers, and and just facts that are interesting. Like, for example, I never understood that an atom—if uh, you were to look at the real perspective of an atom—and don't take my word for this—but the idea is that there, there, if you take a cathedral like the Notre Dame in Paris, the nucleus of the atom. If we're taking the entire cathedral, would be a P in the center of of the main room, and I just thought that, that that's a kind of these incredible ideas that I never never thought because I always just saw the cool picture of the atom, like in Lost, you know, or whatever. It's like the electrons are like right next to the nucleus, so. Just things like that, and the book is just littered with stuff like that. Absolutely fascinating. All right, number seven, Ian, you've got The Unconventional Rules of Investing by Joe Krause.
1: This guy's coming from a VC perspective, but I think uh, we can all take a lot of what he's talking about and apply it to our situation. So the main point that I want to bring out here is he says invest only in teams that you don't need. And I actually don't agree with the, uh, the headline here. Basically, what he's trying to say is invest in teams that can do it without you. And uh, I think that this is a great principle. And I look at our organization, Dan, and I look at how we've been successful. And it's by investing in team members that can essentially replace what we can do and then up-level as well.
0: It's like we're riding their Um, coattails for the brief amount of time they're willing to hang around.
1: Yeah, so you invest in these people, our employees, we, we invest in them, right? And then they pay dividends on the work because then they start to take ownership, then they start to build their own ideas about things, they start to help you build your business. And uh, it's it, from my perspective and from his perspective, Joe's perspective, it's one of the best investments that you can make is investing in people that don't need your attention 100% of the time and are able to help you grow your business without you.
0: righty. and number eight, Things That Don't Scale by Paul Graham, fantastic article.
1: He breaks it down into sections. Uh, it's like a uh, recruit fragile delight, experience, fire, and, and, and basically he just he just talks about all the ways in which you should build your business uh, that don't seem scalable to most people.
0: This is one of the things that, that burns me up, busts my balls a little bit, when I hear people saying, I can't do that because it doesn't scale. It's like people just ex- assume that scale happens immediately. What you have to do, like, I don't even know the, the right metaphor, it's like uh, when you get that flywheel moving, you know? At the beginning, you have to go out and hustle. And I think that's this, the message of this article for me. Is it's like, hey, look, you know, if you're just doing easy stuff, laying back in the cut, mailing list up, 2% conversion rate in, ebook sold to whatever, forget about it. You need to be out there shaking hands, pressing flesh, as Alyssa says. <laughs> you need to be hustling. And when you develop cash flows, cash flows scale. You can find a way to put people in charge or put software systems in charge or whatever. So I think that that's the message of this is that you can find the nuggets of gold, the value that other people haven't. I mean if there's all these like obvious systems of how to uh, automate value and to scale things, then maybe that's not where the real value is.
1: Yeah, high friction relationships. Right. I, I really like his uh, section on delight. I mean, he wrote really five or six really good sections here. But I think this is one of the things that we're focusing more on, Dan, in our business is delaying our customers. And that's part of our lifetime value of our customer. We, we've got a new initiative in our, in our business to um, identify more closely the lifetime value of a customer and then reward them for that.
0: Yeah. So we're and creating like This is, like an this is internal... kind of across
1: the board in all of our companies, right, Dan? So what we're trying to figure out is like, who are our best co- customers? Why are they our best customers? And then what can we do to keep them being as our best customers?
0: Yeah, how can we delight them at some kind of in some kind of systematic way?
1: Right. Cool. And so uh, I actually reread this to get ideas on that because that's one of our big initiatives this year. All right, Dan. This next one is called Unappropriately again. How techs young millionaires spend their money, and I didn't really take that much away from it in terms of young tech millionaires as I did our mindset and our way of doing business is coming into the mainstream, Dan. Yeah, you know, even
0: uh, I was I was reading a post the other day about from Gary Vaynerchuk that came out on Medium.com, and he was saying I just never cared about stuff. And I do think there's this, like we were talking about with Mark Manson, there's this whole new wealth, there's this whole new abundance in the world. I'm toying with this idea, Ian, that as entrepreneurs nowadays, you know, we're not trying to mine value, we're just trying to organize it. Like there's so much abundance around us that our role is to kind of just organize it and deliver it to people
1: this idea actually the first time i saw this written about wasn't actually about entrepreneurs it was about a lady this was probably like four or five years ago in the washington post and i wish i had the article but she was making a hundred thousand dollars and she got laid off and then she took a job for fifty thousand dollars where she only had to work like 25 hours a week yeah and it turned out like her happiness just skyrocketed. now she spends all time with her family and all this stuff so i think it's cool that uh, this generation and what we're up to in terms of like work-life balance. Yeah. And I hate that word. Yeah. That.
0: And it's not, probably not true, but here's the bigger thing is what we can do in this generation with our time and mobility is profound. We can probably do more with it. I mean, we've got these computers, we've got passports, we've got the cheap air flights. I mean, we can do a lot more with that time. So why are we maximizing for income all the time when our time plus our mobility can create fireworks? You know, so why? You know, I was talking with Michael Covell on his podcast the other day. Why are you going to live in Northern Virginia and make two hundred thousand dollars a year and get yourself into a mortgage and take two weeks out of the year to, to travel somewhere where you're probably not even going to be maximizing your opportunities because you're probably going to be at Myrtle Beach or something? And, you know what I'm saying? Why not make fifty grand a year and hustle up opportunities with all your time and all your mobility? Well, I mean, what's because the it hasn't been to?
1: laid out in too many articles. So thank you very much, Financial Post.
0: <laughs> Number 10, what I learned from a short order cook, except how to, how to get
1: unhungry. If you've read, have you read Anthony Bourdain's book? Absolutely. Um, uh, Kitchen Confidential. Kitchen Confidential. Yeah, he's brilliant. got a couple of them. It's brilliant. And uh, yeah, I think I'm fascinated by the way that the uh, restaurant industry works and, and the culture behind the kitchen has always been a lot of fun when I worked at the at the restaurant part of the reason why I worked there was because you know sex drugs and rock and roll obviously right mm. you, you've been there too <laughs> but this guy he uh, he explains like how he found himself in the weeds as a dishwasher and how he was taken out of the weeds and basically what the weeds means is when you find yourself behind pace right so the dishes yeah. are stacking up and all of a sudden you don't have enough clean dishes, New people are coming to the restaurant. So how sex crazed as the author, so sex crazed short order cook showed him the way out of that. And it was with process. Very cool. And it, was, it was with passion. And so I think I read this and I, I, I could relate a lot of my entrepreneurial experiences to what this poor guy was going through and how he kind of had to reframe his thinking in order for him to get out of the weeds, so to speak.
0: Very cool. That sounds like my life, buddy. You know? Maybe I'll read that article and then go (laughs) go pay all the bills. (laughs) All right, so we've obviously mentioned a ton of links in this show. If you're interested in anything we brought up, go to tropicalmba.com slash reading material. This is episode number 43. couple quick news and shouts uh, items. Uh, You know, Mark, we are resurrecting the podcast listener section, Ian. I'm sure long-term listeners of the show remember. Listeners of the show regularly sending Pictures of themselves listening to the Tropical NBA podcast. Uh, Mark sent, uh, he recently uh, is on this incredible tour meeting with some revolutionary characters. We've got a collage of him listening to the LBP at Jim Morrison's grave, at an ode to Che, and at the Bat Cave, respectively. So, awesome. Uh, the Tropical NBA podcast is really making the rounds this week. Thanks, Mark. We always love to see your photos. One thing I want to bring up, speaking of photo collages and stuff, one thing I'm really excited about. And I heard from John Myers. is this program called Sketch, Ian. Are you familiar with Sketch?
1: Yeah, I think it's the uh, fireworks replacement, right?
0: That's That's right. It's like it's a homegrown piece of software. It's not made by a big company or anything that I understand. It's an infinite canvas replacement for fireworks. And it's lighter weight. And it has a lot of really smart features. So a dummy like me can make website mock-ups, I can do little photo. It's basically a way to like make little graphics. It's kind of like a really sweet mix of like MS Paint, Fireworks, Photoshop, and Illustrator. It's like, it's like the <laughs> sweet spot in between like the nexus of all those programs for dumb people like me. And so I can play on this and like make a really sweet looking website mock-up. And this is useful because I can communicate with my designer better. I can have fun. Uh, that's productive. So maybe late at night, I just open up Sketch and I play around with some graphic elements. So anyway, thanks, John, for pointing this out. And it's a great piece of software. It's like 50 bucks. I totally recommend it.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, Dan. I'm still a Photoshop, uh, Illustrator, InDesign. Yeah, when it comes to this stuff, so I know there's some new uh, tools emerging, but I'm as an as an older gentleman now, I'm a little bit worried to have to uh, relearn some of these softwares because I'm so used to the Adobe suite. But definitely, yeah. it seems like obviously these programs are hard to develop, and so that's why I think a lot of startups don't address them because yeah. they're they're fairly complex, right?
0: Yeah, I think that's the case, and you know, you got companies like Adobe that are just dump features and features and features, and then they cut Fireworks, which was. Fireworks was the program that did all this stuff, but I guess it didn't have a great user base. I mean, you know, trying to do a quick website mock-up in Photoshop for someone who's not a designer is like, Super you know, soft. doing a bike sprint in second gear. I mean, it's just. forgetting
1: yeah. <laughs> mean- And there's a lot of people that are addressing this issue with uh, iPhone app development mockups and things like that. So I, I think there is a precedent there. I just think there's less of a precedent on online on the web. Very cool.
0: All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us at the Tropical MBA podcast this week. If there's any cool pieces of content or videos you'd like to point us to, again, this is tropicalmba.com slash reading material. We will try to come up with some more material and see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. See you then. Thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. Again, we've got our complete audio archive available at tropicalmba.com. That's the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. Also, every episode has complete notes with links. If you're interested in something we talked about, check out the site. And as always, we'll see you next Thursday morning.
1: Yeah, buddy. <laughs>